Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As we enjoy many different aspects of relationship from a close relationship of family, as we talked about family last week, and even to the distant relationship of acquaintances, we have a very clear understanding that we sometimes can run in to enemies. Enemy is a very harsh description of a person that we wish not to bring up sometimes, and I think we need to be very careful. It can be very discouraging, it can bring insecurity, and it can bring hatred even. And we, in every way, want to avoid the description and even avoid the person who can be described this way. However, the Bible is very clear that, especially in the life of the righteous, there are enemies. Adam and Eve, as they enjoy the life in the garden, enemy called Satan, or the serpent, came along. Abel, Abel, not knowing, his brother came, became an enemy, and Abel was uh, slain by his own brother. And Joseph received God's will for his life, and he was joyful, but his brothers were envious and prideful, and they became his enemies. Moses became God's man to deliver God's people. He was in the wilderness, just fine and being at ease. But God called him to go back to the land of Egypt, and he was excited to see what God would do. But lo and behold, there will be enemies along the way. And even in the wilderness, as the Israelites exited out from uh, 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 the land of Egypt, the company of Korah made insurrection against him. And uh, those were his cousins, by the way, his direct cousins. And even at one point, Miriam and Aaron, his direct siblings, as he talked about last week, became his enemies for a period of time. I think about Esther in the Bible, a lady who said, if I perish, I perish. And what a wonderful testimony she even holds today. The queen of Persia had an enemy named Haman who wanted to kill all the Jews in the Persian Empire. We think about Paul in the New Testament, the missionary who had many open doors, who planted many churches, who were who was very optimistic of what God was doing in the Gentile world. But he wrote, he, he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. He also writes, in perils by my own countrymen. As he was going out to preach the Gentile, you see, the Jews were uh, 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 standing by and trying to persecute him and trying to uh, 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 give him a very hard time as he was preaching the gospel I think about he wrote, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. You see, the Bible is very clear as we think about the testimony of the righteous, even from Adam and Eve all the way to the New Testament. We see that they had many adversaries and enemies as they were standing up for that what was right and also standing up for their God. Oh, I think about First Peter chapter 4 in verse 12. Peter says, don't think it's strange that you have some trials. The Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are a partaker of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Notice the statement there. Ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. 
partakers of Christ's suffering, not your own suffering, but what Christ went through. What did Jesus Christ went through? Well, he went to the cross, and even before the cross, he was ridiculed. Even before the cross, he was challenged by the Jews, and even before the cross, he was judged to be a, uh, a blasphemer, and uh, he was just to be uh, just to be just a commoner and not the Son of God. And as we think about the persecution and the suffering our Savior went through, Peter writes, "Hey, don't be." Uh, uh, surprised that you are going to have the same type of suffering that Jesus Christ went through. And I think about John chapter 15, Jesus said in verse 18 through 20, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You see, we're not greater than our Savior, Jesus Christ. If they persecuted and hated our Savior, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, the world will also hate the Christians. And Jesus Christ said it very clearly that... Before they hate you, they hate me. That's a great encouragement, by the way. And uh, they are personally attacking Christ, and not just you. And uh, Jesus Christ said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll talk about it later, but, you know, uh, our stand is not to seek vengeance or wrath or try to fight. No, I believe that we need to leave that up to the Lord because our God is always sovereign. And he works all things together for good to them that love God, God's people say. And let's make sure that he does the work, and let's make sure that uh, in every way he uh, 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 perfects our life through his sovereign plan. And uh, so going back to this subject of enemies and also the world hating us, you see they first hate Christ, and uh, before they hate us, I shared with you about maybe several months ago, I think last year, about the satanic statue that was being pushed to be set up in the Oklahoma uh, uh, Capitol building. And uh, we see a sketch here, and, and this is something they wanted to set up in the Oklahoma Capitol building because of the Ten Commandments. And they didn't like the fact that Christians were able to proselytize or maybe uh, uh, bring about their doctrine in the state capitol. And they were trying to fight the freedom issue. And, and they wanted to uh, build their own satanic uh, statue right next to the Ten Commandments. The Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, decided to remove the Ten Commandments from the capitol ground since this occurred, the Detroit Satanic Temple wishes not to set their statues up. And what a sad thing that is, that, uh, 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 that the Oklahoma, the state government there, just gave up on this fight and, uh, and said, you know what, we'll just remove the Ten Commandments. Because of the Satanic group trying to uh, 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 fight for the uh, freedom of religion, and, of course, in a very wrongful way. And this is the very statue they, uh, they, they actually built so that they could have it in, uh, uh, in the Capitol building. And, by the way, look at that picture right there, the satanic uh, statue with children nearby. And how wicked that is. And that's what Satan wants to do. Satan always wants the next generation. How we need to pray for our nation today. 
Now, they are pushing to have this statue in Arkansas State Capitol where the Ten Commandment is present. They're moving on. And the director of the Detroit Satanic Temple chapter and the national spokesman, Jax Blackmore, said, that's part of the reason that it could only exist standing next to Ten Commandments. That's part of the message. We wouldn't want to proselytize as a single voice in the public square. Now, that sounds very fair in his own description, but I believe the ultimate goal for this satanic group is for the Ten Commandments to be removed in every state capital. And that's what they want to do. And Arkansas is next. You see, there are enemies of Christ. And the Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, they're called the haters of God. And the enemies of Christ is our enemies. And because of the fact that we stand with our Savior, Jesus Christ, I hope we're all standing in the Lord Jesus today. And we're not ashamed of Him or His Word. Because Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, then I'll be ashamed of you when I come. And there are enemies out there, haters of God and haters of Christianity. And as righteous have enemies, we can get very discouraged in the spiritual warfare. And we need to desperately pray like the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 11 through 13. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of my enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me. For such as breed out cruelty. Verse 13. I have fainted unless I believe, unless I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We can also faint like the psalmist, and uh, I believe, but we could find encouragement and find hope and faith if we see the goodness of God. We know the goodness of the world, I mean, uh, goodness of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. And we need this help when we are faced with opposition and persecution and hatred from our enemies in our workplace, in our community, and even in relationship with others. We need to see the goodness of God, and that is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus Christ overcome the world? Well, he overcame the world, not through war, not through any crusade, not through any battle. No, he overcame the world through the cross and his resurrection. They cry, uh, 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 Jesus Christ did not start a revolution or maybe uh, a process of conquering or maybe killing and slaughtering others. No, Christ overcame the world through the cross and through his resurrection. He overcame the world by dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. And, and also he overcame the world through suffering and pain and through, the desp- uh, not, uh, through not despising the shame and through loving sinners and through conquering death and hell. And on the third day he rose again. And uh, 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 thank God there is no sting for the dead. There is no victory for the grave because Jesus Christ rose again on the third day. And he has ascended up to the God, God the Father and sitting at, at the right hand. And we ought to thank God that Jesus Christ is our eternal life. He is our hope. No matter what persecution and no matter how many enemies we have, hey, we still have hope in our Savior who has overcome this world through the cross and through the resurrection. And let us have hope in Him. And let us always believe to see the goodness of the Lord in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. 
For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. I like the last stanza, uh, stanza, which is a challenge to the old rugged cross. I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he will call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. You see, as Christians, we need to follow after the same direction and the same path of our Savior. We need to bear our own cross and uh, not despising the shame, and also uh, being faithful to our Savior and commit to the one who judges righteously. Why don't try to seek vengeance or try to seek battles and maybe revenge? No, let us go to the cross. Let us go to the cross of Calvary. Let us seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And let us in every way and try to preach and share the love of Christ rather than try to fight the world. And that's how Christ overcame the world, my friend. We must understand that. That's the goodness of the Lord. His death and resurrection does not communicate hatred against his enemies. No. His death and resurrection communicates the love of God. That's God's nature. God is love. This is how God overcomes the world. Through his own love and sacrifice. Oh, there is a parable of a holy man who was engaged in his morning meditation under a tree whose roots stretched out over the riverbank. During his meditation, he noticed that the river was rising and a scorpion caught in the roots was about to drown. He crawled out on the roots and reached out to free the scorpion. But every time he did so, the scorpion struck back at him, or tried to. An observer came along and said to the holy man, Don't you know that's a scorpion? That in its nature of a scorpion, he wants to sting you. To which the holy man replied, that may, be well be, uh, that may well be, but it is my nature to save. And must I change my nature because a scorpion does not change this nature? That's a very wise statement. Our God is the same way. Even the world hates him. He cannot change his nature. God still loves man. God still loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He knew who would be saved, who would not be saved. It didn't matter to him. He still loved them all. And he's giving provision of salvation to all. And that's the same direction and the principle we need to have in our lives. And if we have Christ in us, my friend, that means we have the love of Christ. And it should be in our own nature not to seek revenge to our enemies, but to communicate the love of Christ, communicate the meekness of Christ, to communicate the humility of Christ, and that's how you win the world to our God. We ought to follow the same footstep of our Savior to bear our cross and follow that same path of humility and meekness. Oh, we think about the life of David. David was a great man. He was a great general. He was a great conqueror. He slew many men, by the way. But he had a great balance of knowing the love of God. He knew what he had to do in the warfare in the sovereign plan of God for the nation of Israel. But he also knew the sovereign plan of loving an enemy. And he had an enemy. His name was Saul. By the way, Saul became his father-in-law. Can you imagine your father-in-law trying to chase after you and kill you? 
That's what happened. I mean, you think you have a bad relationship, but David had it worse. Every time you meet, just throwing a javelin at you. Hiding under a cave because of your father-in-law. And this king was full of envy and hatred toward David. And David was described as a man after God's own heart. One of the fine testimonies of David was his reaction and wise decision towards his enemies. And I believe it truly pictured our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what do we do when the enemy hates us? I would like to share with you three spiritual actions that David took in loving his enemy, Saul. Number one, seek the Lord and not your enemy. He sought the Lord, not his enemy. 1 Samuel 24, verse 3. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the side of the cave. And this is the time that Saul was pursuing after David, trying to find him and trying to kill him. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand. Thou mayest do to him as it shall be good unto thee. Then David rose and cut off the skirts of Saul's rope privately. You see, the men were encouraging David. Hey, didn't God say that God would make sure that he'll have his vengeance and and that he will trample over your enemies? And this is the time, David. You should slay Saul at this time. He's your enemy. And David rose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. It came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, convicted his heart that he did that, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. He didn't even wound him. He didn't even give him a scratch. He just cut a little garment. And he said unto the men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hands against him seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. You know, David had a great opportunity to get back at his enemy. Smite him in the heart while he's sleeping. But he decides not to seek his enemy, but he decides to seek the Lord. What does God want me to do? I know what I want to do. I want to kill this man. He's been after me all this time, and I'm not even in my hometown anymore. I have to leave my family. I'm in the wilderness. I don't, want to ask, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. An opportunity that he might have against me, he'll take it. I know what I want to do. I'm sure it in his heart, David said. I want to kill this man. But God says, David, no. Don't kill this man. And David sought after God's sovereign plan rather than his own plan. Another time, Abishai offered to smite King Saul as he was in the trench. But David again said, 1 Samuel 26, verse 9, And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? In verse 10, David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him. Or his day shall come to die, and he shall descend into battle and perish. David sought the Lord's will and the Lord's direction again toward his enemy. He had another opportunity to see this man kill. And Abishai, one of his mighty men, offered to say, let me kill him. I know, you didn't want to do it last time, but let me kill him. I'll smite him once. Not twice, I'll smite him once. And I think Abishai was very confident that one smite will kill him. But David said no. Don't you dare do that. Let's seek after the Lord. 
not after Saul. We often want to seek our enemies, bring vengeance, bring hatred, bring snare, bring gossip. But we need to make sure that we are led of the Lord. For we will make foolish and carnal decisions that is, that are, that is very sinful. And ladies and gentlemen, who is a righteous judge? Is it us or God? It is God. Every judgment that we might bring will have some flaw. And, and, and more so, I believe, it will be very sinful. It will be carnal and it will be lustful. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to make sure we go, after, we go after in seeking the Lord because He will always bring the right judgment at the right time in the right place. Oh, let us pray like the psalmist in Psalm 5, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of my enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. The psalmist was saying, lead me, Lord. Let me see you clearly. I don't want to be distracted by my enemies. That's what the enemies want to do. They want to distract you, and they want to see you respond. They want to see you react. They want you to seek vengeance so that they could also get back at you. But God, uh, the psalmist prayed, Oh, Lord, leave me. Let me clear you. Let me see you clearly. I don't want to see any of these things. I want to see you. I want to be led by you. I want to be led spiritually, not in a fleshy way. The Bible also promises, promises this when we are seeking the Lord in Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh as even his enemies to be at peace with him. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you need to get right with God first. And then God will bring peace. Maybe your enemies are there so that you may get back in loving God and in seeking the Lord. Maybe you've been distracted by the world. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe you need to reconcile with God and try to get everything right with Him. Rather than trying to solve your own ordeal concerning the enemies and the trials that are in front of you. No, seek the Lord, my friend. And I believe that God will bring the peace. God can change your enemy to be at peace with you. And God can change the heart of another. I think about Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Do you believe that God could change anyone's heart? (coughs) Even your enemies? (coughs) Yeah, he should. Because God can. That's what the Bible promises. Maybe the enemies are around you so that God's love and God's law can shine before them as you seek to do good, as you seek mercy, as you seek love. The Bible also says in Romans 12, verse 18 through 21, I like this, the first phrase, if it be possible, (coughs) as much as is life in you, do your best. Do your best. Live peaceably with how many men? All men. In your workplace, family, your neighbors, community, government. Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, meaning to God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if that enemy hunger, what do we need to do? Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we overcome evil? With good. 
Seek the Lord, you will overcome evil with good, the goodness of God. Anyone can just overcome evil through vengeance and rent. Anyone could do that in this world, but you as a Christian, you as a righteous, you as followers of Jesus, you need to do good. Seek the Lord and not your enemy. That's what David did. Secondly, we need to seek grief rather than joy when an enemy falls. Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. Then the David took hold on his clothes and rent him, and, and likewise all the men that were with him, and they just heard that Saul fell and he died, along with Jonathan. And they mourned and wept, fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. This is when Saul died along with his, own, with his son, Jonathan. Did David rejoice over his enemy's death? No. He had grief and compassion and sorrow. And when your enemy falls, what would you do? Would you have a party? Would you make a toast? Would you smile and rejoice and laugh? And even now, do we wish for terrible things against him? And ladies and gentlemen, that's not of Christ. That is of the world and the devil. You know, uh, there's a lot of things going wrong in this country. And we could maybe hate our government officials or maybe people in high places. We could hate them and we could say, Lord, judge them. I think the very best thing for them is that they get saved. Amen? That Supreme Court justice, those people, that they will be saved if they're not saved. We need to, in every way, think the best for our enemies. He that, when his soul is wise. And we're very foolish. We're trying to desert these people and try to, in every way, wish, wish them harm. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 17 through 18, let's read this together, all right? It's in the uh, slide there as well. Let's read it together. Ready? Rejoice not when thy enemy falleth, and let thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it, it displease him. He turned away his wrath from him. Wow. You're laughing in the corner concerning your enemy. God says, I'll remove that. I'll remove that judgment from your enemy. Because I don't like your fleshly happiness. I don't like your indifference. This is how serious this matter is to our God. And this is his sovereign fairness. God wishes to communicate His grace and mercy and forgiveness to our enemies. He cannot do that if we are wanting to see harm against our enemies or rejoice when the enemy falls. We're not supposed to communicate pride or wrath or bitterness, my friend. We're supposed to communicate the love of God and the grace of God. If our enemy is hungry, we need to feed them. If he's thirsty, we need to give him drink. Thirdly and lastly, and seek to remember your enemy rather than forgetting 
Seek to remember your enemy rather than forgetting. I know you want to forget your enemies. And, uh, but 2 Samuel 9, 1, I like what David said after several years later. David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Yeah, Jonathan was his best friend, friend but Jonathan was a house of Saul. David wanted to remember the house of Saul. He had a very dear friend, Jonathan, but through it all, he recognizes the house of Saul. I love Jonathan, but, man, Saul did very terrible things against me, so you know what? I'm not going to try to seek out good things for this house. No, that's not what he said. He said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness You know, we wish to forget and dismiss our enemies so quickly, but wouldn't it be a surprise that maybe you see your enemy in heaven? Forgiven, washed by the blood of the Lamb, too. Did you know that David and Saul are in heaven together? I don't think Saul is... Is having his javelin time anymore. Uh, did you know Stephen and Paul are in heaven together? Paul was the one that gave the pass and saying, stone this guy. And they laid their garments before Saul. Meaning Saul has some authority over that execution. And by the way, Saul, in his testimony in Acts, toward the end of Acts, he testifies of his, tes- his, his salvation testimony to the people in high places. And I'm so glad to hear that he mentions Stephen. He said, I was a persecutor. I stoned Stephen. But he says, I'm saved. I'm just simply saying today that God might have people that you may not expect in heaven. And did you know that God has people in heaven and throughout all eternity who was once his enemies? (laughs) <laughs> we're saved by grace. When we go to heaven, you know, we were enemies, be- enemies before. But God invites us in, and, and God says, enter the joy of the Lord. Be with me. I have forgiven you. I died on the cross. I sacrificed. I shared my love. I gave it all to you. You were once my enemies. Now you're the children of God. Seek to remember your enemies rather than forgetting them. We sit here and judge and dismiss someone so quickly, but you might find that person in heaven, maybe the person next, uh, the person you despise the most. Remember your enemies, do good to them. In 1 Peter chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against your evildoers, they may be by your good works, which they, they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He's saying that do good and do good and do good and keep on doing good. It doesn't matter what others say. You keep on doing good 
And maybe one day, those people that accuse you as evildoers might glorify God in the day of visitation. I think about Saul. I'm sure Saul thanked David for, he, for treating his grandson, Mephibosheth, so well. I'm sure Saul said to David, David, thank you for remembering my grandson, Mephibosheth, my lame grandson, a grandson who became lame in an infant age and a person who couldn't really walk around, a person who couldn't really take care of himself. You took him in and you let him sit on the king's table. You fed him and he was able to live with you. I'm sure Saul thanked David for that. And these gentlemen, do good while you have the time. You just never know how God is going to use your testimony of goodness so that they may be saved, so that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. And also one day when you go to heaven, they'll thank you. And also in every way, they glorify God for the relationship that you get to enjoy for all eternity now. No more hatred. No more bitterness. Old things are all gone. It will not be remembered anymore. All things are new. And there will be no more tears, no more pain. That means every relationship will be perfect. No more enemies. We're all just children of God. And ladies and gentlemen, do good to everyone, even your enemies. It's worth it. It's worth it in eternity.